Good morning guys, today is 29th April 2020, my name is Julian Hoas and this is Morning Chat, Good News and Politics. Hope everybody's doing well, I hope that everybody's handling the lockdown well. I've just realised that we're into the 8th week I think of lockdown, at least here in the Amsterdam. And it's, it's quite interesting knowing that we've hit the 2 month mark actually, of all having to deal with this lockdown, having to deal with what's going on. Now, it is 11 degrees in Amsterdam, 12 degrees in Brussels, 14 degrees in Paris, 21 degrees in Bucharest, 10 degrees in London, and the weather is awful. I liked it when it was nice and sunny outside, even if we couldn't go out and enjoy it properly, but right now it's raining, it's depressing, it's grey, there's no much fun to be had. However, I do have some very good news, particularly for those who follow what's happening with refugees and that topic in human rights. There is some very promising news when it comes to what's happening in Portugal, who offered the um, refugees that it had within its territories the similar rights to citizenship in order to protect them during the crisis. And... What's happening now is that these refugees are now giving back to their societies, they're supporting the country, they're supporting their fellow citizens, they're supporting people who can't leave and can't go out to do shopping, they're doing the cooking for people who are stuck at home and aren't able to cook for themselves, they're helping the elderly, they're helping the infirm, they're helping the disabled and they're giving back to society in a way that a lot of people on the far right and the alt-right always told us that they just couldn't do and they wouldn't do. So we have to look at this in a positive light. COVID-19 has actually given some sort of positive reaction from a government regarding the treatment of refugees. This is great news. If this happened in France, there would be riots. Let's just be entirely honest. If this happened in the UK, there would be riots. If this happened, well, maybe not riots, they'd complain on Twitter and start talking about how Boris Johnson's trying to kill the population. But if this happened in most countries in Europe right now, you wouldn't have this kind of reaction. You wouldn't have refugees being given temporary protection to make sure that they're safe during the crisis. You wouldn't have these refugees being given the opportunity to give back to communities, give back to their countries, to actually contribute to making the lives of people better. You wouldn't have this in most places. Portugal, believe it or not, is one of the most progressive countries in Europe. And you don't hear about it very often. You don't hear about it much at all, actually, aside from a few stories related to the financial crisis and how Portugal recovered or how Portugal did these things. But we're seeing that a small country like Portugal has brilliant policies. They're dealing with this well. They're protecting their people. They're supporting their, their country. Other good news. In France, you're having more and more and more companies, that, or restaurants, actually, that are starting to set up services so that they can keep giving back to their communities and keep serving the people around them. I have family friends in the centre of France who are currently setting up, well they have set up, a meal delivery system to help elderly people who used to enjoy going out to socialise in their restaurant slash bar. They enjoy going for this physical contact and now you've got these restaurants, like those are my family friends, and of these people all across the country who are actually actively making special menus to help these people and give these people the contact they need. 
and it's even it's teaching people great skills i mean i will probably wouldn't have started doing these if not for this and it's helping my skills you've got people who are developing social media skills uh, ways of communicating with people there's plenty of good news around and i'm gonna preface i'm gonna add to this you're not under any pressure to learn any special skills. You're not under any pressure to do anything special or to learn anything or come out of this better or blah, blah, blah. Like a lot of people have been saying online and trying to make people feel bad. Just coming out of this lockdown and coming out of this crisis is enough. Don't put any pressure on yourself. Listen, take it easy. Relax. Do what you need to do. Do your work. Do the things that you have to do to make sure you're still getting paid that your people are alright, that your friends are okay, and that you're handling this well. And then aside from that, relax. Just relax. Don't get into this mentality where you have to do all of these special jobs. You don't have to learn two or three other languages during this period. You don't have to learn how to code. You don't have to learn any new skills. You don't have to learn anything. Just anybody who says that, just go away. Just look after yourself. Do what you need to do and make sure that you're safe. However, now it's time to answer some questions. And one of the questions that I'm going to love talking about, not just because I like my own voice, but because this is an interesting topic, is what are the major barriers to the French response to COVID-19? Now, the big thing regarding this is that French politics has a very specific culture in and of itself. The French are very passionate when it comes to their politics, which has benefits and negatives, like anything ever. And the primary one for me is the aggressive nature of French politics. Now, People are people always look and see what's happening in France and they go, this is what it should be like in the UK, this is what it should be like in Germany. And I actually think that it has a number of weaknesses that people aren't aware of. So, first of all, the fact that people are so aggressive about politics overall in France can lead to situations like the Gilets Jaunes, where while initially I did have some sympathy with, with them, because of the fact that it's, it was people who felt they were being having their chances in life damaged. The problem was that it very quickly became something that was being abused by political parties for political gain. Now, there is a very big sentiment of anti-Macronism in France, which is a big barrier to the French response to coronavirus, because of the fact that the perception of Macron as this metropolitan elite, this man who went to fancy schools like Sciences Po Paris and uh, l'école nationale d'administration and who worked in finance, lends itself to a lot of the conspiratorial thinking that you see everywhere in places such as the UK and places like the US, where because someone has been successful, they're obviously working against the interests of those who are less successful and then obviously exploiting people, blah, 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 blah. This kind of conspiracy thinking is a huge barrier because people simply don't trust these people. Macron's big issue is not only that he's perceived as some kind of elite who 
who is taking advantage of people and in some ways he is elite because of his education, his intelligence and his ability to behave in, in these kind of circumstances. The reality is that he is just a, an average guy who just managed to be quite intelligent and do well in school. Let's be entirely honest. I mean, a lot of people, I've had this on Twitter myself, people saying that I'm some elite metropolitan type, blah, blah, blah. Despite the fact that I personally went to the single worst school in the United Kingdom, ranked somewhere in the 400s, I think, and I just managed to get into good schools by working hard. That's simply the reality for me. That was the reality for Macron as well. Let's be entirely honest. We're not special. We just did more work and we got lucky in some cases. That's how it works. But these lead to people not trusting in the government because a lot of conspiracy theories are flying in every direction. I see people, friends and family of mine, sharing these conspiratorial thinking about how, like the claim that Boris Johnson is trying to kill the population of the UK, which is absolute nonsense, people are doing similar things in France. I'm hearing about how Boris Johnson, well not Boris Johnson, Emmanuel Macron or uh, Edouard Philippe um, held back PPE to damage the chances of the health service to protect people, how they they blockaded certain parts of the country to make sure that the the death toll was higher because less people voted for them in that region, or the fact that uh, Emmanuel Macron sold out to the EU and sold out the French people to make sure the EU could keep exploiting workers or blah, 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 blah. These type of conspiracy theories do not help a government respond to these things. If we see the... So I don't know if I've got any French people who are watching this right now or who will watch this, but some of us major political nerds were watching Edouard Philippe's uh, pronouncement to the uh, French Parliament. And the... You could see that there was a vote mostly to support the, lock, the, the reduction of lockdown measures and the plan to actually make sure that the economy could get working again, that French people could start going back to school, start going back to work, this type of thing. However, you could see that the, those parties that mostly used the situation to build up this conspiratorial thinking to sort of, you know, take advantage of the situation for political gain, particularly La France Insoumise, so unsubmissive France led by Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who is a very aggressive and partially violent man, uh, people like the Front National led by Marine Le Pen, and even some factions within Les Républicains, the sort of centre-right French party and the Socialist Party, voted against this measure. And the one of the key things to bear in mind with this is that, for example, Jean-Luc Mélenchon will run with the tide. First he was saying, how can we lock down the country? We need to absolutely stop doing this now and we need a clear plan to get out of this. But when this plan was put out in place, you have Jean-Luc Mélenchon going, how dare you try to reduce lockdown measures? Uh, this is a betrayal of the French people. You can't be doing this. You can't just present plans. And this is a big barrier. Another barrier to the French response to the coronavirus that is less political and more down to manufacturing practices in Europe as a whole, particularly in France, is the lack of medical equipment. Um, the medical equipment used in hospitals such as respirators as well as a lack of personal protective equipment because these are simply, or before the coronavirus crisis, these were not being produced in France, these were not being produced in most parts of Europe and we were left flat-footed. 
Now, this was a problem early on because like every other country, we were trying to get the equipment we could get. We were trying to pull everything we could and we were trying to make things work with the little equipment we had. I have family who work in the hospitals at some points they were having to reuse PPE at some points they were using bin bags. That's there's there's a way of viewing this. I don't view it personally as a government betraying or abandoning its people. I view it as the general manufacturing practices of European states since about 30, 40 years ago. That's just how it's been. That's how it's it the situation develops. I think it's it's unfair to blame a French government, but many have. Same thing in the UK, a lot of people are blaming the UK government for a lack of PPE when if we look at this rationally and as a as a result of manufacturing practices across Europe, this this was a long time coming. Thankfully now countries are starting to take this more seriously. In France, you've got major clothing companies and major perfumeries and uh, cosmetic companies producing hydroalcoholic gel producing PPE, producing masks, gowns, everything. So this there is some positive to this, and I think we're going to start seeing us Western countries starting to build up our stocks of PPE and manufacturing domains overall. And I think that's a positive thing, especially in France, because in France we have the, we have the knowledge to be doing this. We have the knowledge to be building this up. And another, and I would say the last major barrier to the French response to COVID-19, is simply the fact that nobody was ready. Nobody was even remotely ready for what was coming. Nobody knew what was coming, nobody saw this coming. Even with the months of warning that people are presuming that countries got from China, from what was happening in Wuhan, the information that was being received was muddled, it wasn't scientifically accurate, the numbers weren't correct coming out of China, you didn't really know the scope of the situation, you didn't know how long the incubation period for this uh, virus was, you didn't know how long until people started showing symptoms, you didn't know how long people were being infectious, we simply didn't know. There were too many variables, there was not enough information to properly mount a response early on, and it wasn't until things got going in Italy that people realised this is a problem, we need to react. And this is a problem at the European level, at the national level, in every country. However, at least in France, they started going, getting going fairly quickly and making things work. Now, the second question for this, as much as I love speaking about France and French politics, is what are some of the unforeseen consequences for the coronavirus pandemic? Now, there is a number of issues here that people just didn't see coming. And a lot of people will say that this is a reason why we need to fix the capitalist system in the world, why we need to make the world work in a different way. Some ways they may be right. I'm partially, even as a liberal, I believe that there is some merit in the circular economy and I think that's a very interesting topic and something that will need to be included in a lot of national economies soon. The Netherlands is looking at how to incorporate this itself and in France as well, I believe. But for now, the unforeseen consequences, in my opinion, include things such as long-term mental health issues. Now, put it this way, so we've all been in lockdown for two months now. We all have, the majority of people, or a good portion of people, have some form of mental health issues, things such as anxiety and depression. And being in lockdown for two months, with social distancing, with reduced social contact, not being able to really go out and enjoy our lives, not being able to have our freedoms, 
it has an impact. And while we are going to go into a position, into a process now where we're not going to have the lockdown as severely as we have it now, where we're going to have more freedoms, where we're going to be able to explore more and have our the chances to see our friends, there are still going to be long-term mental health issues because we're not going to be able to have the relationships we had once. The social distancing is going to be in place for a long time. Let's be entirely honest. Going into shops, the queues you're having to go through now, you're going to be continuing these queues again. You're going to have to reduce social contact constantly. You're going to have the outbreaks. You're going to have the fear of future outbreaks. You're going to have the fear of the second and third waves, similar to what happened with the Spanish flu 100 years ago. There were four waves for that, and this is something that people are dealing with for a while. But there are ways to combat this, of course. You know, people are starting to be, uh, be a lot more conscious of how they're affecting other people. Governments are starting to show more support for those who are suffering from mental health issues due to this and anxiety and these types of topics. We're starting to see more solidarity from people. I mean, people are looking out for each other a lot more now. People are actually supporting each other in communities as well. You're seeing communities reorganizing to support those who are more vulnerable, who are at risk and who are in danger of not just coronavirus, but mental health issues, isolation, loneliness. These are important things and... While it is a consequence, I think that the society is going to be very well placed to deal with this, at least in Europe. Now, another thing that is going to be problematic is going to be damaged education. Now, the big question is, how do we get education back on track in most European countries when the EU, well not the EU, when schools everywhere have been shut down for months, where students haven't been going to classes, while Classes have been going online in some cases, but let's put it this way. I mean, kids are going to start going to school soon across Europe. And the classes, which in a lot of countries are overpopulated, are going to be limited in class sizes. But how do you, how do you deal with situations like in France where classes are limited to 15 people? Where, well, like 10 to 20, roughly. But how are we going to manage to cope with a system where you've got classes that go up to 30 students and we're going to be limited classes to 15 people, average, let's put it that way, and we're not going to have more teachers? How is that dealt with? And how do we deal with the possibility that classes could be cancelled again with a second wave, with a third wave, with a fourth wave? How do we cope with these issues? What happens with the students who were supposed to be taking their their A-levels or their GCSEs or their baccalaureate or whatever exams they had to take? How do we cope with these students having to miss out on the key lessons that would have helped them develop that extra level of education in a simple term? How are we going to cope with students that aren't able to be properly analysed and have their education checked before they go to university? How are we going to deal with the university students who are in their final year exams who have had massive disruptions to their studying and their exams. How do we deal with all of these issues? I don't think any government quite has the response yet for this topic. I don't think any government is really ready for how to cope with this and doesn't really know how, if I'm entirely honest and I'm really blunt about the topic. While there are ways we can cope with this, you know, community education or like making sure that students handle it, homework and making sure that they were supported with their mental health and their study support or whatever. There is 
too many issues that could provoke problems. On top of this, and I covered this slightly in another episode, the threat of a biblical famine is a very big one and it's a lot more dangerous than people think. I mean, a lot of people think that organizations such as the UN will just throw money at the issue and it will go away, that you've got enough volunteers to get into these places in third world countries, developing countries, however you want to put it. But there's a very big difficulty regarding how to combat this because think about the amount of money that is being pumped into economies right now and how countries like France are basically subsidizing the entire workforce or the majority of the workforce and subsidizing companies and subsidizing efforts to combat coronavirus. That money has to come from somewhere. And while there are a lot of good funding initiatives from the EU which are still being debated and discussed and drafted, and while there are a lot of people who are, or a lot of states who are currently trying to figure out how to pay for all of these, how much money is going to be left for humanitarian aid and humanitarian efforts? How much funding or additional funding that's necessary to combat these biblical famines is going to be able to be mobilized to help these people? We don't know. We don't know what the economic damage from this situation is going to be and how this is going to impact aid efforts. We don't know how this is going to combat the French state's ability to support North African states. We don't know how this is going to impact the EU's ability to support businesses and farms in Northern Africa or Central Africa or South Africa or anywhere in Europe. We don't know how this is going to stack up and impact aid efforts overall. We simply don't know. And this could lead to catastrophic problems. We don't know if there are going to be famines in these places and if we're going to be able to combat them in any way. We don't know if we're going to have the manpower to send support to help these people. I mean, this is this is a very big issue. And then you, don't, you have the issue of delayed coronavirus outbreaks. I mean, how do you combine the economic damage from coronavirus and lack of funding coming from Western and developed states towards developing states, particularly in the global south? And combine that with all of the issues that are going on there and that will be coming down the line. There is a lot of danger in place for this issue. And there's another issue as well that a lot of people are they're starting to wake up to, they're starting to pay attention to. But what happens with a possible recession? What what happens and there is very likely to be some kind of recession. I mean, I think what the French GDP dropped ten percent of or something? In, was projected to drop 10% in the totality of this crisis? How is that going to affect jobs? How is that going to affect government funding? How is that going to affect economies? How is that going to affect international efforts again? We don't know. But there are lots of unforeseen consequences from this. And it is a dangerous time, let's be entirely honest. We don't know how this is going to go. We don't know what's going on. But... For now, we can only try and keep a positive mentality, guys. And obviously, a lot of these questions do come across a bit more depressing because people are looking for question, answers to questions that are provoking some anxiety, they're provoking some worry, they're provoking uh, concern, and a lot of people want to have the answers to this. But let's try and keep a level head, guys. I'm doing this so that people can understand what's going on, so they can have the answers to their questions, 
not to scare you, but so that we can be better prepared to cope with what's happening and so we can better understand what is going on. Thank you again, guys, for tuning in. If you guys have any questions for future episodes, message me on Twitter, message me on Facebook. You can find me anywhere, Julien Oez, same name as on here, same ad. Just find me, send me DMs, send me questions, send me comments, send me feedback. Feedback is important. I'm trying to figure out if Periscope is the right platform to use. I'm trying to figure out if I should be moving to maybe doing Facebook Lives or YouTube Lives or just make these YouTube videos. I like this format because it means that you people can interact with me and let me know when you're enjoying it. I know when people want to ask urgent questions. And for me, it's it's nice to be able to mobilize the following I have on Twitter to answer your questions and support you guys in your quest for knowledge. This is also available on YouTube, so find me on YouTube and like and subscribe the videos that I've got up there. It helps a lot with developing this this little show that I've got going and helping me to make this work. Uh, follow me on on Twitter, follow me on Facebook, and just give me the feedback, guys. I'm a big tough guy, I can handle it, you guys can be a little mean to me, you can tell me like a certain Bernard does on most of my videos that I have a lazy accent, it's okay guys, I can cope, I can manage. Follow this podcast on Spotify, find this on Apple Podcasts, find this on Anchor, and you know what, Just if you want to support me, support me in any way you can, I will really appreciate being able to develop this kind of format and make this a bigger thing that can help more people. And in the meantime, the next episode will be on Friday. I think this is going to be one episode just focusing on the the big fight between the fiscal hawks and the fiscal doves at the European level. A few people have asked me to really go in depth into that topic, particularly with Corona bonds. If you guys have any smaller questions you'd like me to answer alongside this, let me know. But in the meantime, have a lovely day, guys. Enjoy the next two days. Have a relaxing week. Don't stress yourselves out. You're only human. We are all having a hard time and we are all coping as best as we can. Hopefully this helped a bit, but in the meantime, thank you very much, guys. Your support means the world to me and I hope that you guys have a good day. Look after yourselves. Take care. See you Friday.